came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. Happy Father's Day. With us today is Ed Cox. He's the chairman of the GOP in New York State. Dr. Sky, what are we looking at up there? Congressman Peter King, Zach Williams from Albany, uh, Governor David Patterson, that always makes news. And we have former Commissioner Bill Bratton. What's going on in law enforcement? And let's start off with my friend Mike Stoller talking about the real estate industry. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Katzmatidis Roundtable. This morning, I have the opportunity to have a friend, a banker, a real estate owner, a, uh, an, a special person by the name of Joseph Pistelli, who is the CEO of Pistelli Real Estate Company. And uh, Pistelli Real Estate Company has been around since 1975. They own property in every borough except for Staten Island, specializing in the residential rental market. Since, it, since you're a residential key, let's talk about what's your thoughts about the residential market with regard to after the 2019 legislation. Well, it's nice to see you again, Mike, and I hope everything's going well. It is. Thank you. Um, I, I see the residential market as one that's bounced back. It's strong again. That definitely has come back. I think that the changes in the regulatory process of um, the residential market that has happened since uh, 2019 has definitely um, changed how investors are looking at the property, how new investors are coming in, and how banks are looking at um, that particular type of real estate. Uh, the laws that, the changes that were made truly, truly changed the environment of commercial real estate in New York City. So how how they change them? And I failed to say that you're also the chairman of the board of First Central Savings Bank. Correct. Okay, which is a bank who lends to the real estate industry and who understands what's happening. Correct. So let's talk about what happened in 2019 and what effect it's had with the MCI's major capital improvements and so on. Right. So in 2019, actually what happened was probably the most reasonable, affordable housing program that the city of New York was ever able to accomplish, Rent Stabilization Association, those, those regulations had changed. And it's not to say that regulations are not a good thing. They are a good thing. They're not a good thing when it's bad regulation. What they actually did was change the vacancy factors of when a tenant moved out, regardless of what their rent was paid and regardless of how long they lived there, you were no longer allowed to upgrade that apartment. You were no longer allowed to put it out for some form of market rent. Um, and I think what's important in that change, what really took place there, it's not to say that someone can get an apartment for $1,500 a month or whatever the rent may be. What it actually did was 
take apartments off the market from being made available for other people. The most important thing it did was take about the true culture and philosophy of what the program was about. And the program is about pre, um, maintaining and preserving good housing stock in New York City or in any place. Once that happened, neighborhoods like the Bronx, which were coming up through not only affordable housing programs, but investors were going in to fix up properties and, and put them on the market for rent. It was no longer just the affordable housing program available. People began to say, it's a good deal to go there. There's a good future. I'm not sure that's the case any longer. Not only for the Bronx, but for any neighborhood uh, in, in New York City. So I think that's the first thing that's happened uh, with that change or some of those changes. What about the thought of converting some of the office buildings to residential? I think it's a very expensive uh, proposition to do. Uh, we have a very eclectic portfolio. We have office buildings, uh, some that we've developed, others that we purchased, um, <clears throat> as well as uh, condominiums and co-ops, and we've developed But you, you've, you've converted industrial properties to residential over the years. I've done that as well as built office buildings from the ground up. What about the situation with the... Uh, Cost of conversion of these properties, not, no incentives for the landlord to put money into properties today. Right. So, and, the, and the topic of warehousing of apartments. Right. So on, on, on the incentive process of, uh, I, I, I'd like to just, if I may, discuss, I believe that the city of New York should be able to come up with a formula to offer incentives to office building owners. There are two components with the office building. One of it, you have rentable and usable square footage space that you use that in your formula. Um, but I think now that um, we don't know when these office buildings will be fully occupied. I know that in our culture, in our uh, own portfolio, we are definitely negotiating with tenants whenever we have an opportunity to adjust their rents, to give incentives, to move them to stay on. Uh, in our in our buildings, we're we're not at a rate of vacancy that we're suffering with that, but we don't want to go any further than we need to go with that. But I do think that the city of New York would be ahead of the game by being able to offer incentives to property owners with a formula to move that incentive to the tenants. Okay, so now I'm going to turn it around to your banking hat. In this environment, how do you look? to financing real estate today? We look at it the same way we did before. The, the, the complexity... But the, but, but the pricing has gone up right. substantially. I mean, right. you had loans at 35 and now they're at 6%. How do you underwrite the deal? It's difficult to underwrite certain deals. I think there are more owners that are going to be writing checks to put more equity in those properties if they want to keep them in order to get them financed. Or they're going to be looking at alternatives such as selling them. And where do you think uh, it's the best opportunity? I know that you were very bullish for a couple of years on the Bronx. What's your thoughts today about the other boroughs? I think I'm, I'm a Queens boy. I love Queens. I think it's a great place to, uh, to invest. I think it's very, very ethnically diversified. I think a lot of companies find a lot of convenience there. Uh, so I think that uh, 
Queens is a very good place to invest. I think the Bronx is good, too. We have a project we're looking now. We're doing a zoning change, a very small piece of property. We've owned it for 25, 30 years. Um, so we're going to try to put up about 90 units there, 95 units. I'm looking at doing the whole thing 100% affordable. Um, so people hear the point, 100% affordable. You're a developer. You're a capitalist. How do you make money if it's 100% affordable? Well, I think that the 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 way to make the money with that now, I'm not a professional on affordable housing. I have family members that are, uh, and I hope to use them to accommodate us to to make that uh, that that switch over. No, we've always been uh, a straight orthodox builder developer. Right. What about retail? You know, it, borough retail I think is has returned. It's Neighborhood retail is an important factor. How, is, how do you see the retail market? I think retail's coming back, except if you're driving in Manhattan. Uh, you see a lot of vacancy store after store after store. I think a lot of um, avenues, such as Madison Avenue, which um, you've got very, very high-end stores who didn't really care if they sold a bracelet or a watch or a, a T-shirt. It was really a marketing device of saying, we're in New York City, Madison Avenue. I think with that being said, Mike, I really believe that our elected officials need to bring New York City back by letting people know this is where it's happening, this is how it's going to happen. And, and I think that I think our city or elected officials and state, they're missing that. They're missing that moment of saying COVID is over and COVID is over. You know, there's a remarkable... Because this is nationwide to some degree. What's really happening when you listen to this, um, the, 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 the governor of Florida speak, and you listen to what he says he's done, and you listen to what he says he's going to do, he is saying nothing but one thing. The American dream is in the palm of his hands if we want it. And that's how I interpret that, man. And the results are the longitude and latitude of Florida. And people should look at that at that state. So, have you bought your your next property in Florida? I think I missed the boat. You think you missed the boat? I don't think Joe Pistelli has missed the boat too much as a banker or as an owner. And I'd like to thank Joe Pistelli for being here today on the Stoller Report and on the Cats Roundtable. Thanks again, Joe. Michael, thank you. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at what is today's uh, Steve Cates, also known as Dr. Sky, and Sunday mornings, he makes our minds wander. He makes us look up into the sky and ask us, what the heck is up there? Well, Steve Cates, uh, what's new this week? Well, good morning, John, and a happy Father's Day to you and anybody who qualifies as a father as we move on to another exciting edition here on the Cats Roundtable. John, this big news, as you've probably heard and talked about here on WABC, a UFO whistleblower, an attorney by the name of David Sheehan, claims that he has a client that was a senior Air Force intelligence officer named David Grush. And these amazing claims, here we go. 
This particular individual in Air Force Intelligence claims that the United States does indeed have alien artifacts, meaning spacecraft. I don't know if that also means that we have alien bodies, but the story continues to talk about, let's say, this 30-foot-long spacecraft that was pulled out of a mountain. Some of the technicians on the ground, John, actually tried to go inside this object. Now, we're saying maybe 30 feet on the outside, but when they went in, they became disoriented, nausea and dizziness, claiming that it was the interior was the size of a football field, meaning that something is warping space-time. And if that is true, John, though obviously we can't prove it, what say you? This is totally an amazing story, very similar to what a gentleman named Robert Lazar of Naval Intelligence talked about years ago, at Area 51. Quite amazing, don't you think? Well, it's quite amazing. Could it happen? Yes. I mean, uh, anything is possible. Science is moving at warp speed. And uh, I've heard that story before. I just don't know, uh, Steve. Steve, um, let me tell you something. I hope, like I said, I say to you every week, I hope we find out in our lifetime. Absolutely, John. But on another side of the astronomical world, keeping our minds expanded, We find out that the fastest star in the universe has ever been clocked. It's a star right in the central hub of our Milky Way galaxy, where there happens to be this supermassive black hole. Astronomers identify the star as S4716. What's important about the star, it's part of a little cluster of stars that sometimes get eaten up by the black hole. But, John, this is incredible. They measured the speed of this particular star going around the core at 18 million miles an hour, thus making it the fastest star ever recorded in motion around anything like a galaxy. So these things just keep our minds expanded. But we always talk about the mystery of the week. And, John, we have a really interesting one that would probably take hours to explain in detail. But here we go on the short side. English scientist Henry Cavendish, who was, by the way, the discoverer of the actual thing when he studied and discovered hydrogen, we obviously find out that he actually measured the weight of the Earth using what's called in physics the Cavendish experiment. So basically, it's measuring the force that's between two metal spheres separated by a known distance. And again, the details would go on and on. But John, even back in, 17, in the 1780s, he came up with a fairly accurate uh, bit of information. So we know today, through his experiments and some refinement, John, the weight of the Earth is 13 septillion pounds. Now, what the heck does that mean? We all know that a million has six zeros, a billion has nine, a quadrillion has 12 zeros, but a septillion is a number with 24 zeros. So in this force equation, it's called F equals G. This is the gravity constant. You'd measure the difference between the mass of object one and the object two divided by the radius squared. Cavendish, way back then, was pretty much accurate. So it's amazing that they can even do that, and kudos to them way back in antiquity. There's rumors around saying in some of those hollowness, there's another civilization. Have you heard that? You know, John, I'm 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 in accordance with you, too, absolutely. Because look at what Atlantis theoretically was. There was this entire civilization that allegedly lived then, maybe not underwater, but then because of the changes in the Earth. But we're finding out that there's so many, as you call them, what, hollow areas on the planet. And we're finding out even under the ice of Antarctica, 
that there's actually forests and things like that that are buried underneath. So it's a great mystery. But I thought it important to mention today that the weight of the earth, in it was a fairly accurate number by Henry Cavendish a way back when, as far as time. But we always end off, John, proudly with the live sky. And this is a great time, obviously, celebrating Father's Day. The moon is at noon, so there's no moon in the sky right now. So if you live wherever you're listening to the Cats Roundtable, folks, where you have clear skies and you have an opportunity to look, look into the southern sky around midnight because you're going to see, if you have very few clouds and less light, the beauty of the summer Milky Way. And like I said before, that's the star that's going around fastest. It's located some 27,000 light years in that direction in the southern sky around midnight. Great things, right, John, to keep our minds expanded it as we shift from mind, politics. It, it keeps your mind expanded. Now, the planet Saturn. Do you remember Absolutely. what the we, was? Well, yes, we were talking about one of the moons of the planet Saturn. And that particular moon, Enceladus, it actually gives off static electric charges that when the Cassini spacecraft passed it in the last decade, it was zapped with a, you know, 200-volt charge. So now we have and another satellite called Hyperion, which is more accurate, the one I'm talking about. Enceladus was giving off like ice volcanoes. But Hyperion is the satellite that strains like a potato, and it's all encrusted. It, it, it looks like something from the ocean that came out of the ocean. So we have not only water plumes out in space around Saturn, but we also have the opportunity to talk about satellites that haven't give off electric charge. And this is no small satellite. We're talking hundreds of miles in diameter. So Saturn now, John, the latest news and finality is that it now possesses the most satellites of any of the known planets. We thought Jupiter did, but now Saturn has returned. Even though Jupiter's the king of the planets, Saturn has returned with having the most satellites of all the major planets in the solar system. Lots to be discovered. Steve Cates, thank you for expanding our minds, and we'll talk to you again next week. Unless you have something urgent, Monday through Friday, we're on between 5 and 6 in New York. Call us anytime. Well, thank you, John, for the honor. And always go to WABCRadio.com for the Dr. Sky experience. Jam-packed, as you would imagine, as, and as you know, to let the listeners know great information on these topics that we talk about every Sunday. Thank you, and happy Father's Day to you and everyone. And happy Father's Day, and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers. It's the Cats Roundtable. Comes true on Sunday in New York. With us this morning is Ed Cox. He was the New York State uh, uh, chairman of the GOP, and he is upset about a lot of things happening in New York. And Ed Cox, give us an update of what's going on that that keeps you up at night. I'm glad you asked that question, John. You bet I'm upset. The Democrats are trying to rig our court system so they can redistrict and re-gerrymander the congressional seats for 2024 and make sure that Hakim Jeffries is the speaker rather than Kevin McCarthy. Are they they're trying to change? Uh, I know the courts approved uh, the, uh, the previous uh, uh, districting. Are they trying to change it again? That's right. We, we got a, a special master uh, in a decision by the highest court in New York State who redrew their gerrymandered lines. And rather than having us in 
four seats. Uh, we won 11 seats in winning eight of the nine uh, competitive seats. We have more competitive seats in New York now than any other major state, and that's what it should be. You got to fight, the, and we're going to have to fight to hold on to them in normal circumstances in 2024. Anything else you would like to tell the people of New York? Yes, we need to have a real two-party system here in New York. You don't want to have one party that's controlled by a small faction of the far-left people in it and uh, who, uh, who control the primaries. And what we need is to have a real two-party system with a strong Republican Party. Understood. I mean, you need common-sense people, and it seems like uh, uh, people from... Uh, the socialists have taken over most of the, the uh, Democratic Party, and we need common-sense Democrats to stand up against them. You bet, and they will if it's a big, if it's a big primary, uh, like it was with Eric Adams, where he ran for safe streets, good jobs, and good education. And guess what? We're doing the same thing. That's common-sense policies. you think everyone would be for them, but unfortunately, the Democrats, they're not for good jobs. They killed 20,000 good Amazon jobs. They just made sure that those didn't happen in, in Western Queens. They killed whole industries here, like the natural gas industry. That's not producing good jobs. Well, I uh, uh, commended uh, uh, the Speaker of the House, uh, Kevin McCarthy, for making a deal uh, with the White House and excluded the extreme right and excluded the extreme left. Uh, wasn't it better just to get a deal done? That was a good deal. They got that done, but <laughs> the, the President Biden didn't want to negotiate at all for, for months. And finally, he was forced to, by a united party with only a five-seat majority, uh, Speaker McCarthy forced him to negotiate, and in the end, they reached the deal. Thank you, Ed Cox, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. With us today is Peter King, former congressman, and I wish he was current congressman. 28 years in Congress, always speaking out for America, always speaking out for New York. Congressman King, Sunday morning, what do you have your mind on? John, I tell you, to me, the worst news of the week was that uh, Daniel, Daniel Penny was in, indicted and charged with manslaughter. And he's a person, to me, is a good Samaritan. He did what every American, every good person uh, should do. He saw people whose lives are being threatened. He saw a person who was obviously a serious mental patient, but was threatening the lives of other people who already had warrants out for his arrest for solving people. He brought him down. He tried to subdue him. He did subdue him. And then it turned out the person died. But that was not the fault of uh, Daniel Penny, a former Marine. Uh, he, uh, he tried to hold him down every time uh, he would sort of uh, you know, release his hold. The guy would uh, start in again. Uh, there were African-American people on the uh, on the car itself. It was a person of color who helped Daniel Penny. And yet, somehow they're saying this is a racially motivated crime. Al Sharpton was saying it was racist. I think our world was turning upside down, John. I really think that uh, this is terrible, that we should be giving him a ticket tape parade, giving him a medal, not, not uh, anything like this at all, his whole idea of indicting him, putting him through the criminal justice system and facing a potential 15 years in jail is a disgrace. And it's really just one more, not just that it is one more example of what's happening in our society. I mean, you always say uh, in a city of eight, and eight, over 8 million people in a metropolitan area of over 11 million, 12 million people, there's a few thousand. 
who are committing the crimes or a few thousand of violent mental patients. They're the ones we should be focusing on. And our society is breaking down. What Daniel Penny did is what we always urge people to do. If you see something, do something. Do what you can to protect innocent people. He did that, and now he faces the prospect of going to jail for 10 to 15 years. Absolute disgrace. Everybody in that train thanked the man for, for not getting hurt. And I really like to see the detailed papers, why they indicted him and for what reason they indicted him. I mean, he was trained as a Marine to keep American people safe. And he saw a situation where he saw the passengers of the of the train in danger and he jumped in. What is wrong with that? No, and John, if he wanted to kill him, if he wanted to seriously injure him, he could have done it in a matter of seconds. I mean, he's a trained expert, martial arts expert. What he was doing was trying to subdue him, and the person kept fighting and kicking and trying to get away. And uh, this was, to me, he's a good Samaritan. He did the right thing. And for punishing him, not only is it going to be bad for Daniel Penny, it's going to be bad for other New Yorkers, because you're going to find people very reluctant now to jump in to help their fellow New Yorkers when they see them being attacked, because they're afraid they'll be the ones going to jail. It's terrible. Terrible. Tell us, what else keeps you up at night? Uh, right now, uh, the the budget of New York State, uh, I think we might be in trouble. Uh, and uh, you tell us. Yeah, John, I think with New York State, the real issue appears to be, unless it was just a bookkeeping anomaly, but revenues are way off for the first quarter. Well, sales tax revenues in particular. And what the reason for that is, I'm not certain. It could be the rise in the interest rates that have been going on, the steady increase in interest rates. But uh, with uh, revenues falling off the way they are, it's going to be hard to sustain the already expensive programs we have without either having tax increases or massive layoffs. To me, the economy is really in bad shape in New York. I think it's because we are already the highest tax state in the country because there's overspending. And now with revenues not coming in, and you know, again, one, one reason why, I mean, there's probably several reasons, one main reason why revenues are falling off is so many people are moving out of the state, including people who have money. People who have been successful are moving out of the state, and they're not uh, you know, pitching into the economy. You know, they're not buying. They're not sustaining the economy, and you can't blame them for that. Another issue, John, which is really dangerous, that it really is going to determine the direction the country goes in, is the indictment of President Trump. I mean, listen, maybe you could say that he's guilty on some of those technical violations, but the fact is there was no harm, there's no foul. And uh, to be uh, indicting him and charging him when he's the leading Republican contender for president, the former president of the United States, and we know that this type of uh, conduct, one way or the other, has gone on for a number of years. I don't think President Trump had any idea he was dealing with a uh, what was going to be a, a criminal statute of espionage. He thought he was dealing under the Presidential Records Act, which uh, where you negotiate uh, as far as the records are concerned, what ones you can keep, what ones you can't. And uh, to charge him criminally, first of all, the FBI raid his home, then to have now criminal charges brought against him, it sends a terrible signal to the rest of the world. It's a real stain on American history. I saw that 76% agreed that it was strictly political, that, uh, uh, and 12% agreed, uh, said that well, he's guilty, and another 12% uh, said that, uh, well, they don't know either way. So it's 76 to 12 to 12. Uh, I mean, you can't take an existing president, the current president, hires a prosecutor to go after his opponent. I mean, give me a break. I mean, it's, it's horrible. 
And especially what the American people see is you have all these allegations against the Biden family, and apparently nothing being done as far as prosecution. The fact that Joe Biden himself had records going back over a quarter century, or at least, yeah, he has almost a quarter century, uh, which uh, uh, was sitting in his garage and other places, and that special uh, investigation is going almost nowhere. So it's a double standard, and we see what's happening with Hunter Biden. We see what's happening as far as the uh, allegations by Senator Grassley uh, and uh, other congressmen about the you know, millions of dollars that people alleged were given to the Bidens, where they were or not, to be uh, decided. But the fact is, there's no evidence at all that any action is being taken on that. So this is a clear double standard. And uh, if there's an equal justice under the law and no one being above the law, then they should start it by beginning investigations, serious investigations of the Biden family and of Joe Biden's papers. And in the interest of the country, the Justice Department should have used its discretion and not brought charges against President Trump. Agreed. Well, uh, Congressman Peter King, happy Father's Day. What are you spending your time on Father's Day? You're going to see your children. I was seeing my son and my uh, grandson, my daughter. She's off in North Carolina. My granddaughter's in a uh, horse show, and my daughter, who now lives in North Carolina, uh, she was down. Uh, she's down there for the, uh, the horse show today. Uh, I'll be spending the rest of the day with my son and my grandson. And my daughter was up during the week for Father's Day, so we had like an early Father's Day. Sounds good, and we'll catch up with you again uh, real soon. We'll see you on Monday in the studio. I'll be there, and happy Father's Day to you, John. Thank you. With us today is former Governor David Patterson to tell us what the heck was going on in New York City, New York State, the world. Governor Patterson, a lot of people respect your point of view. Tell us what you feel like this Sunday. This week, John, Keyshawn Sewell, who was getting high marks from everybody, abruptly resigned as police commissioner of New York City. She was selected by Mayor Adams about a year and a half ago. It's one of the shortest terms a police commissioner ever had. And I will say that I could see Commissioner Sewell as uh, head of law enforcement agencies. I could see her as an attorney general. Uh, she's not a lawyer, but I'm just saying that I could see her in almost any capacity. She has a great deal of dignity and a very direct when she answers questions. Um, however, I think that there's this issue that uh, public servants have to go through that the private sector doesn't, which is that when there's a high-profile resignation, all of a sudden it becomes kind of like a plebiscite on how Mayor Adams is doing. And what I want to say in that respect is um, Mayor Adams is thought to be a real micromanager, uh, like Governor Cuomo, another real micromanager. When I was governor, I was not a micromanager. I put people in charge of agencies and basically listened to them. And then there was a situation where I thought I may ha might have to lay off some workers. So I instructed the heads of my agencies to give me a list of the workers that could be laid off in the difficult financial crisis of, uh, you know, back at that time. One of the agency's heads, who was a former elected official, in a conference call with the others, said, um, don't submit any names on the list the governor's in political trouble and all kinds of trouble right now. He can't do anything to you. And there's no reason anybody needs to be laid off at, the, at that particular time. When that guy, I fired the individual. When I fired the individual, he actually had members of the 
uh, you know, body of government get up and have a press conference asking for him to re- be re- reinstated. And then they went to Governor well, uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo, who was now governor-elect at that point, and asked, would he take the person? And Governor Cuomo said, if the person was disloyal to the governor, why would I take them? So what I'm really trying to say, John, by that is that, you know, that there are decisions you make as the head of a major company and decisions people make. And you can't always want to talk about why that happens. It might not even really be the fault of the person who's being let go. So, Well, I, I know the, best- the commissioner very well. She is a great lady. She worked very hard. Her people, the, the police officers, over a year and a half time that she's been in New York, her officers, her rank and file, had a lot of respect for her because finally they felt there was somebody watching their back. And the problem, I think my opinion was the problem was she felt that somebody was not watching her back in the rest of the administration. What say you? That's how she feels. I'm sure she's entitled to it. I think that the mayor has a great amount of respect for her as well. It's why he chose her in the first place. But, you know, sometimes you can have uh, greatness among people, but part of their greatness is that they do things a certain way. So when you put them together, as great as they are individually, it doesn't add up to a whole. In other words, they don't do that well together. And I think that the administration's um, the view of the administration from the outside shouldn't change because they rearrange personnel, even if, in this case, one of the people who uh, is leaving has an outstanding resume. And I think we'll be hearing from her for years and years. I, I agree with you. Uh, she is a terrific person. She is a people person. She has knowledge of the uh, of, of the police department, and I think it's a big loss for New York. Um, what else would you like to talk about this Sunday morning? Well, we had another incident on the subway this week. Uh, uh, somebody got up and started yelling at the passengers, yelled at one particular man who took exception to being yelled at, and then punched his girlfriend in the face, and the man took out a knife and stabbed him, and he did not survive that attack. This particular case, I think, is going to be easier to discharge uh, than uh, the case involving Mr. Penny, who is under indictment right now, because there was a much stronger act in furtherance of the crime. In other words, you can yell at people and, you know, you're assaulting them verbally, but he actually punched another human being in the face. And rather than waiting to see what the next action was, this person reacted. And, and so I don't expect that charges would be brought against him. And I thought it was interesting that the uh, media was making a big deal over the fact that they let him out without bail. I keep repeating this and I keep saying it until someone listens to me. Bail does not bail is not related to the crime that's committed it is related under the sixth amendment to getting the defendant to appear at trial this guy is not going anywhere he thought he did the right thing so of course they would let him out without bail because he's not going to flee the state 
Now, uh, but when the trial occurs, I, I doubt, I doubt that they will bring charges against him. In the case of Mr. Penny, I think he'll be acquitted. I was a little surprised the grand jury indicted him. But in his particular case, it's a little different because the, uh, the, the troublemaker on the subway, in that instance, yelled at people. I think he threw a paper cup and hit somebody with it or something like that, which, by the way, is Governor, an act in further. Do we have the, the details? Do we have the details, Ed, uh, for the, how, on what basis the grand jury indicted uh, the Marine? That will come out, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Be very interesting to hear that because, you know, there's, uh, everyone has something to say in situations like this. And people, people with political motives always have something to say with facts that support their point of view. But that's a good uh, admonition, John. We really should wait and hear to, uh, what the indictment is, is all about. But in, in that particular case, um, I just think that um, it, it isn't as open and shut as the most recent one. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, well, Governor Patterson, thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning. Uh, people do respect a great deal your opinion, and you make a big difference in New York City, New York State, and the whole region and the country because of who you are. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. With us today is Zach Williams, the star reporter for Albany for the New York Post. How are you, Zach, this Sunday morning? I'm doing all right, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell us, uh, another week has gone by. Uh, the budget still has a couple of loose ends. Uh, give all the people of New York an update. What the heck is going on? Well, it seems quiet here in Albany, but that's when you got to worry the most. You know, last weekend, the state legislature was supposed to wrap up the 2023 legislative session. And indeed, the state Senate did. But the assembly uh, is still going to come back on Monday to finish uh, some last minute bills. But, you know, what is most interesting is what passed in the final days last week. Now, of course, there was a clean slate bill that we talked about to automatically seal um, criminal records after people serve their uh, their time in prison. Also, a whole bunch of changes to election law backed by Albany Democrats, who, as you and I know, love to talk about how they're improving the electoral system. But when you look at some of the details of some of the legislation that they passed, you really got to raise your eyebrows. You know, two of them particularly are interesting. One of them would require all election challenges in New York State to be filed in just five places, Buffalo, New York City, Albany, and uh, Westchester. Now, why does this matter? It matters because last year the Republicans challenged the so-called Hochelmander, the congressional map, in Steuben County. You know, they looked for a forum that would that they thought would be friendly to their legal arguments, and indeed it was. And that wouldn't be able to happen uh, once they tried to change the congressional map this year, pending some litigation. And another change that's really interesting is to the public campaign finance system. Now, progressives have talked for years about how great it would be if we, if, uh, if taxpayers matched political donations up to $250. You know, say if you give 100 then the candidate actually gets $700, six-to-one match. Now, what, the, what uh, Democrats passed last week 
is very interesting because it would allow those any gifts to be matched, no matter how much somebody gave. So let's say I gave ten thousand dollars. <laughs> They're going to match that up to 250 bucks as well. So we're talking, what, uh, about $1,500, $1,700 in addition to that $10,000 they gave initially. And what does that do? It dilutes the power of small donors, the ostensible purpose for having public financing to begin with. Understood. Um, have they finished up? Uh, uh, they, they came up with J51 versus uh, uh, what happened with the real estate industry? Oh, boy, there was a real eruption down the home stretch of the legislative session where the legislative leader, State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins and Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, claimed to have a, a sweeping housing plan that was ready to go if only Governor Kathy Hochul would sign on. That sparked a fierce reaction from one, from her communications director who said if, if, the, if the legislature has a bill, they should bring it up for a vote. Nobody's stopping them. And it is interesting that while they, the legislative leaders claim to have this super-de-duper deal, they didn't offer any details about what actually would be written in legislative language, begging the question about whether there really was a deal to be had at all. You know, despite this recusal agreement, Governor Hochul issued what's called a message of necessity to the state Senate, which allows them to pass bills that have just been introduced despite a constitutional requirement that they wait three days. Doesn't sound uh, too much like recusing to me. Oh, my God. Oh, what else is new? Well, thank you so much, Zach Williams. Uh, and um, it's sad uh, that the things that go on in Albany and we, we need help. Thank you so much. Anytime, John. Thanks a bunch. With us today is uh, the former commissioner of the NYPD. We got a big mess in our hands, not only in New York, not only in Chicago, not only in San Francisco, almost every big city we have. So with us today is Bill Bratton. Bill Bratton, what the heck is America going to do? Well, we've uh, been here before, John, in the late 1980s, early 90s. Uh, America was in the midst of a crime crisis at that time. Uh, we got out of it, and uh, New York in particular, as you well know, we live here, uh, literally for almost 30 years had crime going down every year, so that by 2018, it was the safest year in the history of New York City in terms of crime. Uh, around the country, uh, they did not do as well. They were doing pretty well, but not as well as New York. But uh, it all began to fall apart uh, around 2018, 19. And uh, my own belief is that this, this crime crisis was not created like the one of the 80s around uh, drugs, crack cocaine, et cetera. Uh, lack of uh, attention to uh, uh, quality of life type of activity, uh, not having good systems to go after serious crime like CompStat. This crisis was uh, created by uh, political leadership around the country. Mayors, governors, uh, national uh, uh, officers, uh, with the laws that they passed, the attacks on police, the attacks on our, uh, our criminal justice system, uh, this is a system that was uh, created by political leadership. And it's going to take political leadership to get us out of it by passing laws that work, passing laws that control behavior, passing laws that finally might do something about narcotics addiction, 
something about the homeless, something about the emotionally disturbed, something that for 50 years the politicians have been dumping that onto America's police forces. America's but police it's forces coming from us from so many directions. Uh, we're being, oh, it's just, I, I hate to say the word invaded by the migrants, uh, but, we, you know, we, we can understand getting a thousand guys, a thousand people. But I think New York has up to 70 or 80,000. Well, the issue with the migrants, John, is not so much crime that comes with them, because ironically, the different studies I've been exposed to over the years, including going back to my time in L.A., the migrant population uh, uh, basically uh, does not commit as much crime as the population that's already here, uh, native one. Uh, understandably, a lot of what goes on in that community is not reported to the police because of fear of the police coming from the countries they come from. But the co cost of the migrant issue is the idea of to house them, to educate them, to take care of them medically. And we're seeing that in New York City. They're talking, what, five to eight billion dollars to deal with the 50 or 60,000 that are coming. So it's not so much the issue of crime. Because the vast majority are going to find work. The vast majority they want to be here to work, educate their kids like everybody else. But it's the overall cost to our government that's already bursting at the seams with, with costs. Uh, as I look at what Albany just passed for a budget, what City Hall is looking at for a budget, where's the money going to come from? None of them are coming from taxpayers. And where are they going to go? They're going to go to Florida. They're going to go to Texas, where they don't have the taxes we have in this state. If you live in New York City, New York State, in the city itself, the taxes almost triple what they are for the whole state of Florida. I spend the first uh, six, almost seven months of every year, John, paying taxes. In other words, every dollar I make basically in the course of a year, the first six, seven months of the year, all I make goes to pay taxes. I'm in a 54, 55% tax bracket. Uh, and it's, uh, thank God I, 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 I'm working and I have income, but uh, that is phenomenal. If I were to move to Florida, I'd be down, I think, almost immediately down to in the 30s. Uh, no, and uh, it, it's with fast approaching a breaking point where a very progressive uh, political leadership in both the city and the state are just spending like drunken sailors that uh, uh, is, don't know limits of what they're doing. And uh, that's the frustration because that money, uh, unfortunately, is not being spent where it's going to be needed to deal with emotionally disturbed, the increasing drug addiction. Instead of trying to get people away from drugs, we have policies now. We have vending machines to encourage them to stay on drugs. We're going to make it safer for you to use drugs so you can spend the rest of your life not trying to get off drugs, but to stay on drugs. And what happens when you stay on drugs? You want the next high. You want the next higher high. So you graduate from marijuana, you graduate to heroin, and you graduate to the next thing. And that's the problem with addiction, that there's never enough drugs, there's never enough high. And that's effectively what we as a government are now starting to support in city after city, state after state, this idea that uh, we will sustain your drug habit rather than try to get you off the drug habit. It's the world's, world's turned upside down in many respects. We, we've turned, uh, we, we're pushing our people I mean, our borders are open. We're pushing our people to become drug addicts. We're pushing, you know what I'm scared mostly of? That our 12 to 26-year-olds will get hooked on drugs and, and ruin them for the rest of their lives? 
I mean, it, well, it, our it, education it, it, system, our, our universities uh, are under siege, and the the Chinese are feeding mo more money in than ever before. But they have to be—I don't want to say more loyal to to China, but we're under attack in so many directions. Well, the China issue also uh, so much of the illicit drug. Uh, uh, trafficking that's creating deaths, basically drugs that are created in China and smuggled in from China, and knowing all the various uh, derivations that we're now seeing recently. Uh, I was just uh, in Italy for two weeks on vacation, fortunate to go over there for two weeks. I did not smell marijuana for two weeks. Came back to New York and literally, boom, as soon as you get back into the city, it hits you in the face. The only positive about the red cloud we had last week that uh, we didn't smell marijuana for a while because we were smelling other stuff. And it's uh, so the legalization of the marijuana issue, for example, uh, kids now 12, 13, 14, 15 can get, get a hold of it. It's so readily available. If we're selling it illegally in 1,200 shops around the city, you think they care who's coming in to buy it? They're not checking for IDs. It's a cash business. And the city has totally lost control over it. The state has lost control over it. No, what's so frustrating, John, is that uh, our systems uh, stretch to the breaking point and in some instances have broken. And the only way we can fix them is effectively through political leadership. Uh, but to get the political leadership that's necessary, we really have a, uh, a, a big struggle because in this city, this state, that the primaries control who basically gets uh, into office. And I understand that the Republicans have about 30% of the vote, Democrats about 30% nationally, but in the middle is 40%, people like myself, probably people like yourself, although I think you're a declared Republican, but the centrists, uh, I'm, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm an independent, I vote, I vote an issue, I vote for the person. And those 40% can control elections. They certainly uh, help to control national elections. But at the local level, centrists don't come out to vote in the primaries. So what do we end up with in New York? Uh, basically, we get the progressives come out to vote and put in their candidates who are then elected in the general election. And what do we got? We got Albany. We got a progressive city council where I think, what, 40 out of the 52 city council members describe themselves as progressive left, or as we would describe them, woke. And uh, no wonder you can't uh, get control of, over any of the stuff that uh, it's, it, they have created a climate where anything goes. we got to make a change in 2023, 2024. Uh, Bill Bratton, no, thank you. We'll, we'll keep trying. All the best, John. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do, and thank you for speaking out, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.